we are not able to meet during the week because of the different schedules and work commitments. So to keep up on our learning and teaching, we usually have two sermons on the day that we have communion. We don't have two sermons every Sunday. It's just one time a month. So you are either very unfortunate or very fortunate. <laughs> but you came on a day when we have two sermons. And today, typically, I would go, my second sermon would be from the book that we are teaching through, which is the book of John. But today we're going to have another communion sermon. And it will be different. It will be different. You see, for the church to be the church, it has to know the things of Christ. And a lot of these crazy people wearing these nice suits and just hollering and screaming and jumping and collecting money, they're not telling people about Christ. They're just collecting money. And say, in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. <laughs> Amen that the transaction has gone through. They've taken the money. Okay? <laughs> we don't do that here. Uh, as long as the Lord keeps me I pray that he will continue to cause me to do things the way that we are doing them, to continue to actually purpose to teach the things of Christ, that these people may know them. But the time is coming. I wasn't born a Christian. I was in Tashish when the Lord came for me. But when you come to Nineveh, you got to do the work of the Lord. And the Lord has brought you to himself that you may know about him because you need to know Christ. You don't need your job. You need Christ. You need Christ. So we learn about the greatest transaction that God has ever done on behalf of men. This is the greatest transaction. You not being chided for your sins. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm sure you have some sins. Unless if you're sinlessly perfect, like <laughs> Brother Stan. Some of us have to go through purgatory. No, I'm not going through purgatory. My sins were fully paid for on the cross. And the resurrection of Christ, if anything, is saying that your sins were completely paid for and God accepted the payment. That's why the resurrection is very important. That's why men should not go crazy going on an Easter egg hunt. That has nothing to do with Jesus and the work of salvation. It's not even intimated or suggested anywhere in the scriptures. So it's just the foolishness of the children of man to do that, and we can't do that. Our next sermon is not going to be as long, but you never know. <laughs> I'm serious. I have tried to make short sermons. I had a sermon, Brother Guido, with two pages. Turned out to be one hour, 15 minutes. Just two pages. And I can come with 20 pages, and I can do them in 55 minutes. So you never know what God does. I find myself explaining things that I didn't want to explain. 
that's how God works. So I just have to submit to what the Lord does. And if he has something to say, he's going to cause my mouth to open. If he could open Balaam's donkey to talk, he's going to open my mouth and I'm going to talk. So praise the Lord for that. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come again, Lord, to worship you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our resurrected Lord. We pray, thank you, Lord, for the access that you have given us in him, that we may boldly approach the throne of grace in a living way, not in a dead way as they used to do in the Old Testament with all those sacrifices of gods and bulls. We have our high priest, resurrected high priest, who sits on the right hand of God, who ever makes intercession for his people. So Lord, we pray and thank you once again for the victory of Christ over death, his victory over our sin, his victory over the evil one, and his victory over the judgment that was on us. We pray and thank you. And may you press this understanding on the hearts of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans 8, 33 and 34. Just two verses. Romans 8, 33 and 34. But Romans 8, 33 and 34. We shall bring any charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Sermon title for those who like to write things down. Who shall bring a charge? Who shall condemn? Or the seven reasons why you are safe in Jesus. The points to consider. Number one, who shall bring a charge or condemn? Number two, God's elect. Number three, it is God who justifies. Number four, it is Christ who died. Number five, it is Christ who resurrected. Number six, he sits on the right hand of God. Number seven, and is interceding for us. Seven reasons why you are safe in Christ. Seven is the number of perfection and completion. We shall consider all those points separately, but let us have some introduction again. This day, we as the Church of Christ, the body of Christ, when we say Church of Christ, I'm not talking about the other denomination, as the body of Christ. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ as the ordinance that he gave when he established the new covenant in his blood. The new covenant 
was established in the light of the Passover feast. And the Passover feast was an annual feast that God established in Exodus 12 when he delivered his people by the blood of a sacrifice. So Jesus shows up and says, in place of remembering your deliverance from Egypt, your deliverance from your slavery in Egypt, you now remember me. Why? Because it's through the blood of my sacrifice that you have been delivered from bondage. So this has nothing to do with Easter egg hands, I'm sorry, and Easter bunnies. As many profane, so-called professing church people are doing. We can't celebrate the resurrection of our Lord without also talking about his death and the necessity of his death. Because if we don't understand the different pieces that necessitated the coming of Christ and his identification as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we cannot understand what it is that God is teaching by the resurrection. Because if you know very well, the Passover lamb was not a pet to play with. The Passover lamb was given to die. Jesus was given to die. His mission was to die. And after he had achieved his own death, he would go back to be with his father as what happened. So remember as we read when we were having our communion, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord Jesus Christ said this in John 12, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. So we can't talk about the resurrection and death of the Lord unless we understand the problem that he died to solve for you and me. We have to know what it is that caused Jesus to be put on the cross and into the grave. We know that Jesus was the sinless son of God and as one who had no sin, he was not supposed to even be punished for anything that he did not do. And yet we see him suffering in the hands of sinful men as we had the hands of the Gentiles, of the Jews, of Herod, Pilate, and the chief priests. And 
we hear him crying on the cross. We see him in much agony and anguish of spirit as he anticipates his death on the cross. But Jesus was not going on the cross just to be a superhero, just to be a daredevil. Jesus was not going to die the death of a thief. Jesus was not going to die by lethal injection. Jesus was not going to die from the venom of a snake. Jesus was going to die because of God's judgment. The thieves who died on the cross did not die the same death as Jesus. All of them died. But Jesus died a particular type of death. In his death, Jesus was battling death itself. He was just not dying. He was battling with death itself so as to overcome it for you and me. Jesus died to kill, to destroy death itself. And John Owen has a book called The Death of Death. The death of death in Christ Jesus. Jesus died to kill and bury death and to overcome he who had the power over death. He came to destroy the works of the evil one. So God was going to pour all his wrath on him not for his sake, because Jesus had no sin. Jesus was sinless. He came to be a case bearer. Jesus came to be a case bearer. You need a case bearer. You need one who can ground the wrath of God for you. And only Jesus as God is able to ground the wrath of God's judgment. So, it was for your sake and my sake, because of our sins, that Jesus was given over. And because of this, and because Jesus knows what's going on, we see him shaking. We see him afraid of God. The Son of God, who is God, who is from God, is afraid to face the wrath of God. The one who is sinless is afraid of God because he knows God. Sinners who are not afraid of God do so because they don't know who God is. Here Mark 14, 32 to 38. And they went to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. 
And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus was greatly troubled. He was greatly distressed. He said, my soul is very sorrowful. His soul was very sorrowful, even to death. His sorrow was beyond the sorrow of one who is bereaved or of that of a woman who is in labor. I've just been reading and learning that when a woman is in labor, her pain is equivalent when she's giving birth to that of one who has had 20 bones broken at the same time. 20 bones broken at the same time. And Jesus' pain was more than that. His sorrow was more than that. It was the kind that no man had ever experienced and will ever experience. Why? Because he was the sinless son of God. And this was the kind of sorrow that could only be removed by death. So in his distress, we hear this in Luke 22, verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You and I can be prayer warriors as much as we want. But we will never pray until our sweat becomes like great drops of blood. No one has ever done this and no one will ever do it. And this is why only Jesus can save you. It is the same Jesus who cried out through the psalmist David and said in Psalm 22, 1-2, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. This is the agony of the Son of God. But why then did the sinless Son of God cry out to God? I, I would expect that if you were sinless, you should never ever be in trouble. If you were sinless, you should never ever be in trouble, especially from God. Because all the trouble that comes on Jesus comes because of God. He is the one who is bringing trouble on him. Jesus is not afraid of Pilate. Jesus is not afraid of the Jews. Jesus is afraid of God. You and I have a serious problem. And it is a problem that can't be solved by anything that we can do. It is a real problem and it's a deep problem and a lot of people are not aware of the problem and the lord god tells us in jeremiah 2 22 
This is your problem. Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. The Lord God says, because of your sin, you have spent all your life washing yourself with not just soap, but much soap, that you may remove the stain of your guilt before him. We have been working all our lives trying to be good as to please God. And a lot of people would say, well, I don't think I've actually been trying to be good to please God. But every time that we've been nice to people, it's because we are trying to build some credit in ourselves to say, oh, I used to be very nice to my mom. I used to be very nice to my co-workers. It is all attempts by men to be good in themselves. Now, people have all kinds of detergents to try and make themselves look clean before God. Some will try the Clorox bridge. But of course, that does not work. And Brother Stan actually showed me, or we were commenting on some YouTube video where they were doing this. They brought a lot of water and they had some powdery detergent. And they kept washing people, I'm telling you. And people think that is the way of being clean before God. Others will try the detergent of baptism, of praying to dead people, praying to the saints, of good works, being nice. You see, a lot of the people who are so nice are some of the most difficult people to share the gospel with. Because they think they are good. They think they are good so they don't want to hear what you have to say about them not being good. But God says, the stain of your guilt is still before him. Your sin is too deep to be removed by a smile, as a lot of people think. Just smiling at strangers and buying them gifts. If you try to wash yourself clean, you may look clean to yourself, but God says no. You may look clean to others, but God says no. You are still unclean like that man with leprosy whom Jesus healed. And we can't be clean before God until he washes us and says, you are clean by the word that I've spoken. Until he says, you are clean, you can never be clean. A child cannot wash themselves clean unless the parent washes them and are satisfied that they are clean. Jesus alone, God alone has to pronounce you clean because he alone has the detergent that cleans deeper than the stain of sin has gone. And men will not come to God by themselves. 
Men would rather sow some fig leaves to cover themselves. Men would rather all rush to Fig Leaf Baptist Church. The free will Fig Leaf Baptist Church and cover themselves. Men would rather make their own wedding garments to bring to heaven than get the free garments of the righteousness that is in Christ. But God is not mocked. If you desire, if you happen to show up where Jesus is, wearing your own garments, this is what Jesus is going to say. Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? The wedding garment is a type of the righteousness of Christ. And you have to be covered in the garments that God gives you. Just as God covered Adam and Eve when they sinned. Just as Jesus covered the man who had the legion of demons. It's Jesus who came and covered him. He used to be naked. God says, Thine iniquity is marked before me. Your sins are still before me. No washing by yourself who take out your spots. The marks of your idolatry and corruption are too deeply rooted to be removed or covered by any human means. The stain of sin is gone deeper than water and soap can help. You can't soak yourself. You can't soak your sin. You can't soak your sin away like you do with dirty dishes or run a washer. You can't put your sins in a dishwasher. Your sin is not removed by giving money to the church, by singing in the choir, by being good to anybody, in being in a particular church denomination. Because when we argue with people about the truth, they seem to defend their denomination rather than standing on the truth. We say God saves sinners only by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. And they'll say, no, what about my works? And the reason why they're defending is because they are defending their own church tradition. They are not defending what the scriptures are teaching. God does not save anyone because of the, of the church that they attended. God does not say, okay, now I'm saving Berean saints. God saves each one individually. You were called individually. He didn't save you in a group. You may have attended an altar call, but God calls his people by name. Lazarus come forth. That is the way of salvation. God saves those whose iniquity has been washed away. Those whose sins have been removed in the blood of his son. And are covered in the wedding garment that Jesus himself gives. 
his own righteousness. How do you get your sin removed? When you're a preacher, you catch a disease of repetition. It's just the way of the business. You always repeat things. Because God has been repeating things. So I think I'm in good company. How do you get your sin to be removed? There's only one way. That your sin can be removed. And it's a very dogmatic way. It's a very narrow way. It's so narrow that you have to walk in naked to fit through. It's that narrow. The way of salvation is so narrow that you can only make it through when you're naked with nothing on you. Nothing in my hands I bring. But the broad way, the broad way, you can carry as much as you want to carry on the broad way. There's room to hitch a U-Haul, as I always say, because it's the broad way. Bring a semi of works. It's the broad way. But if you have to be saved, you have to go through the narrow way. And Jesus was just saying, this is the way that God works. You have to come through me. That's the narrowness of the way. Is because it's Jesus alone and his grace alone and his faith alone. So if you grew up in a church that told you that your sin is removed by being baptized or getting sprinkled, guess what? They're lying to you. If they told you that sin can be removed by having wine and eating the bread of communion, they were also lying to you. Sin is only removed in the death of the Son of God. Sin is only removed in the death of the Son of God. Second Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. First John 3.5 you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there's no sin. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being. You need some well-being. Because if this does not happen, you are sick and dying and dead. It's all good descriptors of those who are not in Christ. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. That is substitutionary language. It's saying everything that was due you was put on him. And by his caging, we are healed. By his caging, we are healed. He didn't say we shall be healed. He says 
by the scourging of Christ on the cross, we were healed completely of our transgressions and everything that was due us. We were healed. That is complete restoration of your relationship with God on account of the obedience of Christ and he's taking God's judgment on your behalf. First Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So sin was removed in him who was sinless. And for you, sin is removed. The judgment of sin is removed by believing only in him for your acceptance by God. The judgment already happened. When you are coming to Christ by faith, what is happening is God is imputing, he is giving you, he is reckoning to your account the righteousness that is in Christ. So sin is removed from you when you come to God with nothing but Jesus for your acceptance. So this is what has happened. Sin is at the background of what Apostle Paul here in our text in Romans 8 is talking about. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Because you see, you're a sinner, and if I want to charge Jean... I have a million things that I can bring against her. And I'll be right. I'll get it. I'll get it. But the apostle says, he asks a question. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Because you are liable to be charged. As long as you are you, you are liable to be charged and be condemned. But he says, God's elect. Oh, so this applies only for those that he identifies as God's elect. Not everybody. As God's chosen people, as the saints. Saints, 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 election. The ones that were set aside in Christ. Listen to this. You just do not decide to come to God by yourself. And say, oh, this life is boring. I think I'm going to try Jesus. <laughs> Let me see how things go for me. God has to draw you to Christ. God has to bring you to Christ by his spirit. God the Father chose a people in Christ before the foundation of the world that they may belong to Jesus. And these are the people who come to Christ. And these are the people that Jesus came to save. And if you belong to Jesus, you are coming. Whether you like it or not, you are coming to Jesus. It may be a slow process for you, but guess what? You are not going to die and you are bulletproof until God gets you. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for 
the sheep, the elect. Jesus did not pray for the world and did not die for the whole world. He did not die for everyone in the world. Because if he did, guess what? Everyone is going to heaven. John 79. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. Oh, I thought Jesus loved everyone. Why didn't he pray for everyone? Why did he make these qualifying statements that I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So, if you belong to Christ, you believe in Christ, it's because God gave you to Christ before the foundation of the world. You belong to God, you were given to Christ, Christ came and he purchased you, he redeemed you by his blood on the cross. He wants you to know that if you believe in Jesus, it is because of him who said, in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I set you apart. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. The God of the Bible is the God of election. The Bible teaches election. You can't deny election. So the apostle comes and says to these whom God has chosen and saved in Christ, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. That is a rhetoric question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is a question that is asked not to get an answer. Because it does not need an answer. Because the answer is obvious. He says, is there anyone who shall be able to come and condemn you for your sin? The answer is no one. There is no one who is able to bring a charge against you before God. Not the devil. Not your neighbors. For your dogs that were running in your neighbor's yard. Not your husband for leaving nothing cooked but just the recipe book in the kitchen. Not angels. Not demons. Not your sin. Not your children for not buying them the iPad. And not even yourself. See that the question only holds for those who are identified as the elect. The elect of God those chosen of God, by God, by His grace, in Christ Jesus, are the ones who are called the saints. Who is to condemn? Another rhetoric question. There's no one who can pronounce a judgment of condemnation on you as to separate you from God. There's no one. But why is it that no one is able to condemn you seeing that you have this deep stain of sin that you can't wash away. Someone has to be able to come and point it out and say, you see, I told you she is not clean. She has many sins and she too should go to hell. She can't come in here because she is unclean. The Holy Spirit says, no. 
you can't be condemned because you are very good. Because you were the financier of the church. You were the kingdom financier. As I had some young person talk to me a few days ago. He says he thinks there are people who think that his gift is in financing the kingdom of God. So they have a term for it. A kingdom financier. Brother Stan, I see that gift in you. <laughs> You're a kingdom financier. God does not need any kingdom financier. Jesus is the kingdom financier. He's the one who purchased his people by his blood. Jesus is the one who died. What does that mean? And why Jesus Christ? Why didn't the Holy Spirit say, it is because of Mary who died? Why didn't the Holy Spirit say, it is the Pope who prayed for you? Because they can't save anyone. Mary can't save anyone. He needs to be saved. The Pope can't save anyone. He needs to be saved. He needs to repent. And believe the true gospel. Of salvation by grace alone. In Christ alone. And Jesus is the only priesthood. The true mediator between God and man. Jesus is the only one who died and paid for your sins. Jesus alone is the one who removed the deep stain of sin that would condemn you. Jesus alone is the one whose blood is able to cleanse deeper than the stain has gone. As in the words of the hymn that we, we sang earlier, if men don't know this about themselves, they can't know Christ. There are two men that you have to know. Now and eternity. You need to know the Adam in you. And know Jesus. If men don't know the Adam in them as fallen, they have no use for Jesus. So we come and preach the gospel that you are the fallen. You are the sinful, wretched, and depraved sinners. And this is how you make a discovery of yourself by the Holy Spirit that you may come to the second Adam who saves. I like the words of the hymn that we sang again. I'm going to get two stanzas. Dark the stain Oh, the stain was dark. Or oh, some people knew how to write gospel songs then. Dark the stain that soiled man's nature. Long the distance that he fell. So the distance that sinners have fallen is long. Far removed from hope and heaven into deep despair and hell. This is how far they've fallen. How did they come from that? But there was a fountain opened and the blood of God's own son purifies the soul and reaches deeper than the stain has gone. It goes deeper than the stain has gone. Praise the Lord for full salvation. And his two reigns. 
Because if God does not reign, he's going to lose you to some gangster fallen angels. He reigns upon his throne and I know the blood still reaches deeper than the stain has gone. Conscious of the deep pollution, sinners wander in the night because they don't know the solution to their sin. Though they hear the shepherd calling, they still fear to face the light because they are in darkness. This is the blessed consolation that can melt the heart of stone. That sweet balm of Gilead reaches deeper than the stain has gone. The blood of Christ reaches deeper than the stain has gone. But listen to the other reason that Apostle Paul says. is why no one can bring a charge or condemn you. More than that, he was raised. More than that, he was raised. Who was raised? So, you have a lot of things going on for you. Number one, God chose you. Christ died for you. But if Christ remains dead, you're in trouble. You are in trouble. But he resurrected. He resurrected. And not only that, he sits on the right hand of God. Why is it important that Jesus was raised? I said this earlier, and for the purpose of one who is listening, they need to understand this. Because a lot of Christians struggle with assurance of salvation. Because they look to themselves for assurance. They look to, we have not been giving to the church consistently. So, I don't know. And suddenly they start doubting their salvation. I have not really been very good this year. So I think I lost my salvation this year. I may have to come back and walk the aisle again and rededicate myself to Jesus. They are constantly re-crucifying Jesus, taking him down the cross, putting him back on, taking him down the cross, putting him back on. The significance of Jesus being raised, as I said, is saying that God's demonstration of his acceptance of the payment that Jesus made on the cross. Is God saying he is satisfied with the transaction that Jesus made on your behalf. And God says, now it's okay to bring your people into my presence because they have everything that they needed to be with me, without getting banned. They have everything. They have everything that God requires of them to be accepted by him. And when Jesus said, it is finished, that's what he was saying. He was saying, I have paid for the sins of my people who were slaves, who were in prison, and have set them free. I've talked about this before. And I'm just going to refer to it real quick. It is finished is the Greek word tetelestai. It was used in two ways. In commercy, 
when a merchant had sold their goods and the person who was buying from them had made full payment, the bill that had the description of the goods and the price and everything there was stamped Tetelestai to say full payment had been made and there was an exchange of ownership. Okay. Secondly, it was used for one who had been in prison after they had done their time. On the day of release, it was stamped on their certificate to say they had made full payment for what the old society and now they were free to be treated as free citizens. And that's the word that Jesus goes and reaches for and says it is finished. So Jesus finished the payment. He said in John somewhere, John 17, he had finished the work that the Father had given him to do. To complete the salvation of his people. And if Jesus was not telling the truth about completing the work that God gave him to do, God was not going to raise him from the dead. But on the third day, he rose from the dead because it was impossible for him to be overcome by death. Jesus is the son of God and is greater than all. And so he has to overcome death and it was impossible for him, the Holy One of God. To see corruption. So the Apostle Paul says another reason why no one can bring a charge against you is that this resurrected Christ is now seated at the right hand of God. What does that mean? To sit on the right hand of God. It means that Jesus has all the power and authority of God. Just as Joseph had all the power and authority of Pharaoh as a ruler, prime minister of Egypt. The right hand is a place where, or was the place where an accuser would stand to give a charge against someone. Hear this from Zechariah 3, verse 1. I have a sermon on Zechariah 3. I want to preach it again. Because I love it. Listen to what is happening here in Zechariah 3, the devil shows up to accuse Joshua, the high priest of Israel, before the Lord. This is Zechariah's vision. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Right hand. Psalm 109.6. Appoint a wicked man over him and let an accuser stand at his right hand. So this is the language of a court setting. The accuser would stand on your right hand side to accuse you and to bring charges against you so as to be condemned. But we are told that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who now because of his resurrection sits at the right hand of God. Not as your accuser, but as your defender, as your advocate. So if Jesus does not rise from the dead, you have no one to defend you before God. But Jesus stands there every day 
and shall stand on the day of judgment to defend you. You speak for you and rebuke your accuser and say, this is what Jesus said. Jesus is the angel of the Lord in Zechariah 3. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plugged from the fire? You see, Joshua was actually wearing filthy garments, if you know the story. So the devil had every reason to accuse Joshua. And if he wanted, if God wanted, all those charges were right. But the angel of the Lord Jesus Christ stands up and he says, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plugged, plugged from the fire? Do you see the reason given? Jesus uses election as the reason why the devil can't charge you. He didn't deny the charges. Jesus did not deny the charges. He says, none of your business he is mine. He says, <laughs> did I not choose him? Did the Lord not choose him or her and plucked her out of the fire of sin and condemnation? It's election. Jesus uses election as the reason why. So anyone, if they try to bring a charge, God is not going to even waste time. I chose her, so what? End of story. And I paid for her sins. And here's the last point. Who indeed is interceding for us? Because Jesus is raised, he is interceding for us. Jesus died and he rose. And he sits on the right hand of God. And he intercedes. He has entered right in the place and throne of God and speaks for us with such wisdom and understanding that there's no opposition that can withstand his wisdom. That is why you want the wisdom of Jesus. Jesus prays for us that God will forgive our sins. And God has forgiven our sins. And he forgives our sins freely because he already has payment for them. Jesus already made enough payment that when you sin, we have an advocate with the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ. So then the resurrection of Jesus is very important for your salvation. It is nothing, again, I'm beating this to death, to do with the Easter eggs and the bunnies. I like bunnies, by the way. I think they are cute little animals. I like them. But not when it comes to my salvation. I could cook them. I have a recipe for them. But not for my salvation. I need a better recipe for salvation. I need Jesus. The resurrection is for your acceptance by God. It is for your justification. He was given over for our transgressions, but was resurrected because of our justification. 
praise God that Jesus was forsaken on the cross. <laughs> you have to thank God for that. You have to thank God he was forsaken. But a lot of people want to come and feel like they're feeling sorry for Jesus. Jesus said, no, don't cry for me. Cry for yourself and your children. Don't feel sorry for Jesus. Feel sorry for yourself. And praise the Lord that he came and died on the cross and God forsook him because if he did not come, you and I are still in our sins. And God will be sending us to hell. But we praise God for Jesus because he rose from the dead as the first fruits of the resurrection. This is what he's saying. Whatever happened to Jesus is what is going to happen to you. When Jesus fulfilled everything that God sent him to do, God sees you as the one who did it. When Jesus was put on the cross and he was crying, God sees you as the one who was crying. When Jesus rose from the dead, God sees you as the one who rose from the dead because you were united with him. So as far as God is concerned, this is a done deal. It's done. So the certificate, the receipt to say this is a done deal is the resurrection. That is the resurrection. The angel who was seated by the empty tomb said to the women who had come to anoint the body of Jesus, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they led him. To you too. The Lord says, do not be alarmed of death. And the reason that the angel gave was, do not be alarmed, because I know you are seeking Jesus, who was crucified, and he is risen. So because of that fact. That's the basis of you not getting alarmed. He is not here because he has entered into the heavenly tabernacle but he also promised this. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. How can Jesus make this promise before he died. But you see, if Jesus dies and does not resurrect, guess what? You're, you're tossed. This is not true. This assumes his resurrection. So Jesus knew that he was going to resurrect. If Jesus does not resurrect, you have no one to take you to God. He is the way. The way to God is not Highway 70. Is Jesus. Praise the Lord, he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. And that is the gospel that we preach. That is the gospel that we preach. We are not trying to make your life better. And I hope it does get better. But we want you to know how your soul can meet with this maker in peace. That's all. 
And this sermon is enough, if you believe what we just taught, is enough to make it right between you and God. That's your biggest problem. You never finish paying bills here in America. Things are always breaking down. But this is the one thing that Jesus finished. There's only one thing. You're going to go home, do dishes again. Wake up tomorrow, do dishes again. But this work God finished. And that's the basis on which Apostle Paul would come and say, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It is God who declares you to be righteous. Who is to condemn is Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray and thank you for the resurrection of your son Jesus Christ who said no man can take his life away from him. He said he will put it down by his own will and he will take it back up as he did. And we pray and thank you that he was able to finish the work that you sent him to do. Because if Christ fails, God has no more another son to come. God has only one son who could come as a sacrifice. And if this one fails, there's no hope for anybody. If this second Adam fails as the first Adam, there's no hope for your people. But we praise you, Lord, for his faithfulness in discharging every jot and tittle of everything that you assigned him to do. And the resurrection, Lord, was that testament, that testimony that he actually accomplished a perfect salvation for his people. He was not trying to get anyone saved. He saved his people from their sins. But we thank you for this day. Thank you for this message. May you bring to remembrance some of these things to your people that they may grow in the knowledge of him who paid for their sins. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.